Thanks for joining us for our podcast, Putting It Together. My name is Christina Clayton, one of the co-directors of the Northwest Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. We are part of a national network to disseminate and implement evidence-based practices for mental health into the field. We are coming to you from Seattle, Washington, and our Northwest region covers Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. However, in this virtual world, we have connected with people from all over, and we are very grateful to connect with you today. One of our goals is to provide free training and technical assistance in mental health topics. And now we are offering a podcast because we were told there weren't many podcasts out these days. Just kidding. But truly, we hope you hear some useful information and or inspiration that helps you put it together when working in this challenging and amazing field we call mental health. You can find out more about us, including our live event calendar, free online courses, resource library, and newsletter sign up by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. The Northwest MHTTC is partnering with Oregon State University's Coast to Forest Project to present mental health first aid to our region. You probably have heard of mental health first aid. It has been around for quite a while. But the intention, if you aren't clear, is that mental health first aid is a course that teaches anyone how to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental illnesses and substance use disorders. And the training gives anyone the skills they need to reach out and provide initial help and support to someone who may be developing a mental health or substance use problem or experiencing a crisis. Just as CPR helps us assist an individual having a heart attack, mental health first aid helps us assist someone experiencing a mental health or substance use challenge or crisis. And it takes the fear and hesitation out of starting conversations about mental health or substance use by improving understanding and providing an action plan that teaches people to safely and responsibly identify and address a potential issue. Mental Health First Aid was created in Australia in 2001 by Betty Kirchner, a nurse specializing in health education, and Tony Jorm, a respected mental health literacy professor. And what's interesting is there are a lot of evidence-based studies behind the program demonstrating that it does build mental health literacy and helps the public identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health issues and substance use issues. So why are we bringing this to our region? You might be wondering if we are already doing training for the mental health workforce. Well, in my opinion, as the co-director, I feel and have experienced a number of people who join our field and have not necessarily received a comprehensive set of trainings around these basic ideas and principles. And our field is very broad and very vast and includes a lot of people. And so I'm very grateful to the folks at OSU who partnered with us to present this two-day training, and hopefully we'll do this more in the future. And as you can imagine, we are very supportive of this method because it does include the lived experience and perspectives of those 
who have experienced mental health issues and substance use issues, and that the curriculum teaches about recovery and resiliency, the belief that individuals experiencing these challenges can and do get better and can use their strengths to stay well. So we're very excited to meet with the OSU team today. Brianne, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, just really appreciate you participating in this work. And, you know, so really happy to chat with you today. Of course, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So can you tell us how did you end up getting involved in mental health first aid in the first place? Because I think one thing I failed to share thus far in the introduction is that this is really meant for anyone and everyone in a community. And so I, you know, we are bringing it to our behavioral health workforce in, in region 10 for different reasons, but anyone can take this course. So how did you end up getting into it? As you mentioned in my bio, I think earlier, um, when I took this position that I work for the Oregon State University Extension Service and support the 4-H Youth Development and Family and Community Health Programs in Lake County, which is a rural frontier county of a total of 8,000 humans. So there's definitely more cows than people here. Um, and, and that's actually my background is cattle. <laughs> um, and so when I took this position in the fall of 2020, we were kind of still in the swing of, of COVID land and you know everything was weird and um our community actually experienced um a, a cluster of youth suicide attempts and then we actually had we did lose some youth to suicide and then of course our adult population was suffering from those same things as well um but in kind of hearing those those challenges that our community was was struggling with I went you know I feel like this is a place that I could uh, jump in I'm hearing that there's some gaps in terms of services and availability and and also just a, a giant mountain of stigma that really needed to be dealt with and and you know and, and really created some barriers for people to get help and um I not having any knowledge of the sort in behavioral health in any shape or form. <laughs> if it doesn't have four legs and a tail and moo at you, I really wasn't a whole lot of help at that point. Um, and I was lucky enough to have been kind of plucked up and dropped into the Costa Forest group um, through Oregon State University. And, and really their goal is to um, provide education in substance use disorder and uh, mental health challenge realms and then also to reduce that stigma and they had already received some NIFA funding to provide mental health first aid trainings and we had not even gotten that off the ground yet and so I said hey I have community partners who are asking for this I have school staff who are asking for this can we please do this soon <laughs> and so we I was actually very fortunate in the fact that the very first training that was offered by that group under that grant funding was locally for Lake County for my community um, and after that, I kind of was hooked. I said, hey, Kate, can I get trained as facilitator? Let's do this. Um, and so, you know, obviously I had so much guidance from the people with all the knowledge in the Costa Forest team. And, um, and they were very patient with me as I stumbled through, you know, how does this realm of behavioral health work? What systems are in place? Where are the holes? Um, and how can you fill those gaps, but also um be thoughtful in your placement and, and navigating those relationships and not having anybody feel like their back is put up because you're jumping into maybe what was really their 
um, territory. So how can how can I jump in and be a supportive relationship and fill those gaps? Um, and mental health first aid was really kind of the first way to do that. Wow, that's that's fascinating. When you when you think back and you're starting to learn about this, what stigma? Because this is pervasive. It's still out there. It's still here, alive and well. What stigma did you notice in your community as you started to talk about these topics or learn about the field? Because I don't know how much mental health applies to cattle, but I'm, you know, I'm sure there's some, but, um, you know, how did, how did that show up when you're starting to, to talk about this, this training? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, um, my community is a very agriculture based community. Um, and so there's that rough and tough cowboy mindset of, oh, you rub some dirt on it and you move on. And obviously we know that doesn't work <laughs> with mental health challenges. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and so really having to re-educate people and, and reinforce that this is, this is a problem. And, and I think some of that was, um, the timing made it a little bit easier to move through some of that and move past some of that in the fact that we did lose community members. A lot of people were impacted in a community of 8,000 people, you know, someone's child, you know, dies from suicide and everybody's impacted in some way, shape or form. Everybody has at least brushed elbows with that kid at some point. And, and it's not, you know, not just the youth, all the community members that have been lost um, to that tragedy. And so um, I think that made it more real and made it more impactful and made it, you know, maybe hit home more and people more willing to look at some other avenues and look at some, you know, looking at some of those beliefs and being willing to see that this is, this is not as simple as rubbing dirt on it. It's not a weakness. It's something that people need help and it affects everybody. Um, and so that was kind of the main the main thing, the, the other challenge we see too in a small community is if you walk into the wellness center or the crisis center, everybody sees you. <laughs> they see you walk in there. They don't know what you're going in for, but there's a lot of assumption, a lot of assumptions. And a lot of the time before you even make it back out of that building, there's 30 other people who know that you went in. And so there's a lot of that, you know, kind of that, oh, well, I can't show that weakness. I can't show that I need help um, and not wanting to be associated with those challenges and so um normalizing that everybody needs help sometime normalizing the data that supports that one in five people experience a diagnosable mental health challenge in a given calendar year you know this is a thing and and it's a thing that we all need to be part of you know supporting each other through and providing each other the resources and building that capacity to deal with it Ooh, that is very powerful. I mean, I think that's been my experience too. Until it happens to you, it's a little harder to put yourself in those shoes or, you know, have more of a unified mindset. And no one wants all of these tragedies, as you mentioned. And COVID, you know, clearly shined a huge spotlight on a lot of things that were already rough. Um, you know, when you talk about encountering some well, I think you, you said something like stepping on toes or trying to be, how did, what happened when you started to do this in your community? That definitely piqued my interest that was there concern about, Hey, you're not a therapist. Hey, you're not a mental health center. Like what, what, what came out of providing this training that you didn't expect? It sounds like, or that I, I guess I wouldn't have expected. 
I think um, the fact that I know nothing <laughs> helped a little bit <laughs> because I wasn't a threatening human. I was someone who said, I don't know anything about this. I have money. I have access to this resource. How can I help? And, and not coming in there from a, well, this is something we should do. And this is a thing that needs to happen. And we're not, you know, we're not doing X, Y, and Z. I didn't have that knowledge, so I couldn't say any of those things. And so I do think that that helped me a little bit, just kind of being the naive fly on the wall who would chime in periodically. Um, but that being said, it was a challenge to kind of break through and get into the circles that really could make the things happen and had access to the people who, um, you know, I think in the beginning we had to really focus on captive audiences in order to get this training off the ground before people really saw the value in it. And then we could target anyone and everyone and community members and other stakeholders and all of that. Um, but really we needed to tap into, you know, the school staff, the public health folks, um, you know, probation and parole, um, because they could kind of be from a professional standpoint obligated to attend the training and then see the value and then that spreads. <laughs> um, and so getting yeah. to the table to play with the people who can make those decisions was hard. Um, mm -hmm. And there was just a lot of who do I talk to? How can I get to this person? Can I attend this meeting? I won't say a word, but can I come? <laughs> um, or can you send me the notes? Um, and, you know, I, I think um being part of the community there was some of that well she doesn't know what she's doing and i don't really know why she's here but she's relatively harmless so we'll let her come <laughs> and uh that that's kind of where it landed was i just started showing up to things and being annoying without being too annoying um and then people were more willing to, more willing to play so um and then it's been great because since then um if there's a concern you know, extension and, and myself are brought to the table, like we're involved, we're brought into the conversation without me having to wiggle my way in there and throw elbows to get to get to the table. So um, it's worked out really well for me. Well, and that that speaks to you. I've been in behavioral health my whole career, but I can completely imagine, especially if you haven't heard of this, or you don't know what this is, it's just another person coming into our community, even though you're from the community, uh, you know, with an idea or a, or a modality or something that they want to, you know, put on. And, you know, I will, I will say for our audience, it, it is a, a, a regimented kind of curriculum. There are parameters around it. There are some costs. Um, luckily, there's a lot of funding to provide this out in communities and we're partnering with you to do it, um, but there are other opportunities to do it, but it's some logistical management of all the things that, you know, that, that go with any kind of program, but I'm glad that it's landed where I think it is supposed to, which is a gap filler. You mentioned that a couple of times. It's a frontline screening. It's to bring this to everyone in a community versus the, you know, a master's level clinician in a, in a therapy office somewhere that there's a lot of stuff that happens before people reach that door and, you know, may not even think to go to those kind of places. So, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, how did stigma change? Have you, you know, if you've been doing this for, I don't know, a couple of years, um, what have you seen maybe even just in your community or in other communities, does the stigma start to fall away? And, before I let you answer, I do want to also say you're now part of this conversation at those system levels, which is also great because that's that's really helpful to hear 
your perspective, but, but back to the stigma, what have you seen over time change or not, uh, since providing mental health first aid? I think we've definitely actually yesterday in a, a Costa Forest kind of our team meeting that we have, um, we went through some of the data from our youth mental health first aid um, that we just delivered in, in part of a, a different grant. Um, and that was targeted specifically for my community for Lake County. Um, and it was very interesting to see because we did ask questions about in pre and post survey about, um, you know, your level of um, basically stigma based questions and then of course like um, competency and confidence in terms of addressing someone with a mental health or substance use challenge and then specifically suicide. Um, and we did see that that baseline in those groups that we trained that I have already been trained in adult mental health first aid, the majority of them, because they were kind of the same audiences um, that we had kind of been through before, was that their baseline for stigma had had shifted at least one point from where they were when we did the adult mental health first aid in terms of just like group population. Um, and so um, it, it was kind of cool to see that because that stigma data was almost, it wasn't good. <laughs> like we, we, it's not impactful in that realm because the change in stigma after, before taking the training and after taking the youth training um, didn't really change because they were already at such a, a, a high awareness of stigma. Um, in in that surveying and so um i do think we've made an impact especially in our education realms there's been so much you know kind of starting with the youth mental or with the adult mental health first aid and then working through qpr and assist and youth mental health first aid there's been so much education geared towards um, healthcare providers um juvenile and adult probation and parole our law enforcement um our um, emergency responders and then of course our our education and so um seeing that that baseline was was very different from where it was when we first started this journey back in 2020 was kind of a cool thing and you know i think the stigma is always going to be a challenge because there's always you know those generational biases that put you in a place where maybe you're less willing to look at the mental health challenges and and then also you know again that cowboy culture the rough and tough you know, ag communities um, typically are less willing to um, see the value in this type of education. And so I think that's always going to be a battle, um, but I think we're making good headway here, um, which is pretty exciting. And so, you know, having having some data that's specifically Lake County makes it pretty easy for me to see that here. It would be interesting to see statewide with the other work that we've done and the more large scale um, and adult mental health first aid work that we've done, um, what some of those data points would look like from 2020 and then maybe into 2024, if there's been any change in the baseline there. Well, I, you know, was just struck by what you're talking about, about not wanting to, to feel or see weakness, you know, in ourselves or others. And you get back to the cow and you think, well, in that setting, you know, a weak cow is, you know, not one you're probably going to keep. And, you know, just that's another weird parallel here. But, you know, I think what lessons would you share with people who haven't heard of mental health first aid or, you know, want to learn more, you know, do people walk away 
feeling more adept. I know the research supports that, but you know, any, any other ways you would say, you know, go and get this or take something similar to this, because this is really helpful. What have you heard from people who've taken it? What have they shared? I think, I think the key takeaway for me is that it really is for anyone and everyone. And, um, having, taken and taught multiple suicide interventions and specifically the mental health first aid, it's all a tool in your toolbox. And you never know when you're going to need something like that. Um, and, you know, in, in conversing with communities and, and groups and, you know, just hearing some of those personal experiences come out, they have all been touched by suicide and mental health challenges in some way, shape or form, whether it be a friend, whether it be a family member, whether it be some person they ran into on the street, and I think everybody at some point has expressed some discomfort or feeling unprepared or not having the tools that they needed to support that person in the way they would have liked. And so adding this to your toolbox is is so helpful. It's so incredible. It's something small that you can do um, to make sure that those around you are, are more cared for, are more supported. And then also, I think it makes it more makes you more aware of your own mental health and wellness that needs to be addressed because you're like, oh, holy smokes, I'm exhibiting some warning signs here, friends. Um, I should probably address this or making you just more aware of the resources that are available and the options. Because coming from a background that's not behavioral health, I didn't know all the options that were available or the systems or how to gain access to those things. And so even if you want to help somebody, if you don't know how to refer them or where they can go or provide them some resources, it, it's really hard to do that and to do it effectively. And so um, just going back to that, it really is for anyone and everyone. And we really need people who are not in, in traditional caregiver roles to have these skills. You know, hairdressers, um, you know, checkers at the grocery store, because they're the ones who, who are um, coming face to face with individuals who might need help. And, and I think, you know, there's just so much value there and I'm excited to continue to get to like spread the love uh, to people who might be interested. Well, Brianne, I could talk to you all day, um, but that is just very inspiring. I'm so glad that you entered into this work and are sharing all of this information, sharing all this uh, enthusiasm and, and support for people to learn this and just it's very inspiring. Thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And I, of course I could talk about it for days, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. You can find resources related to the episode in our show notes. So be sure to check those out. Learn more about us by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. You can also follow us on social media at NWMHTTC. This broadcast is brought to you by the Northwest MHTTC, which is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. However, the content does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to connecting with you again so we can keep putting it together. Take care.